0: Welcome to the Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor, and joining me today are Leonore Walters, Personal Finance Editor, and Shanil Ramji, Multi-Asset Manager at Day Asset Management. Last year saw investors scrambling for safe haven assets, investments which help protect your portfolio when risk markets like equities take a turn for the worse. Rising interest rates in the US and the UK, and inflation, undermined traditional safe haven assets, like bonds which were not quite up to scratch. But gold was one that did. The gold price rose last year as investors piled in for safety, rising 8% in the final three months of 2018, as the MSCI World Index fell 13%. Leonora, gold tends to come into its own in times of market stress, but um, kind of how does it manage it?
1: Well, there's a number of things going on here. Um, I think the main reason, or and a very important reason, is the fact that it's a real asset. So, for example, governments and policymakers can print more money quantitative easing or whatever you call it, but they can't print more gold uh, to suit the prevailing economic conditions. Um, The new supply of gold is increasing by around 2% a year. I suppose it's not a lot, so that protects it from devaluation um, and supports gold's status as a safe haven asset outside of conventional financial markets, with which it has uh, little correlation.
0: Okay, so uh, it seems to be working quite a good way. Um, How does it do compared to equity markets? I suppose it showed that in the final three months last year, but is that a long-term trend?
1: Not always. Gold can be particularly valuable in certain types of distress, political volatility, government failing currency, debasement. Um, It sometimes is, um, you know a good hedge against equity markets. And, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes equities go down and gold goes down too. It's not a perfect hedge. Um, It's also got quite a good reputation as being a good hedge against inflation. Again, because as I said, it's a real asset, you know, you can't put more of it, but it's not absolutely guaranteed. It doesn't always hedge against inflation.
0: Okay. um, So the, um, as as we mentioned, the the, the price of gold can go up and down, so it can go down in equity markets. Um, So are there kind of, right and wrong times when to have gold, um, what affects the price in the the short and the long term, I suppose?
1: Okay, well, I'd say just start with more general time Um, I don't think there's a right or a wrong time necessarily to buy any asset because that's basically trying to time the market and I don't think that investors certainly private investors should try and time the market because you can go seriously wrong we've got an article article on it a few weeks ago Um, do have a look at that Um, but um, yeah don't try and time the market the other thing to bear in mind is at the end of the day why are you buying an asset is it because it's at a good price no it's not you should be buying an asset because your asset allocation demands you have that asset. So, you know, should you buy gold, should you not buy gold? Nothing to do with the price. It's about, does your portfolio need gold in it or does your portfolio not need gold in it regardless of the price? That said, I mean, what has the gold price been doing lately? Well, as you said, it's had quite a rise since last August. So that puts it towards the upper end of its range of the past five years. But... Gold hit an all-time high of about $1,900 an ounce in the summer of 2011, and it would have to rise about another 40% to get there. So, you know, it's not at its peak. It's not relative to its own history, as cheap as it has been or could be. uh, Saying at the end of the day, whether you invest in gold, whether you don't invest in gold, that is down to what your asset allocation requires you have.
0: Okay, great. Shanil, you have about 2% of gold in your portfolio at the moment. Um, what's your rationale for, for holding it?
2: So we think that you need to have short-term and long-term drivers in, of holding any assets. And in the short term, we, we do see that as growth starts to slow and the competing assets uh, in your portfolio might uh, become more and more expensive, gold becomes more attractive. So, for example, what you see generally is when real yields or inflation-adjusted yields and bonds start to fall, gold becomes more attractive and it tends to start to perform better because that competing safe asset is now becoming much more expensive. So the opportunity cost of holding gold is falling. So therefore, gold is much more attractive from the short term. And that's what we saw in the back end of last year, as growth started to falter, and investors were demanding more safe assets. Firstly, they bid down the the, the areas such as government bonds and inflation linked government bonds. And what that causes another scramble for an asset such as gold. So from that perspective, we've started to Add gold um, to our portfolio in a more meaningful way, and we 've seen that that price rise now. The question about whether we think that price is going to continue to rise is is an important one as as you mentioned. That that gold has risen to the top of its range now, and we need to be mindful of that acceleration. So, understanding that gold can can level off for a while is 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 you know very um, very likely. But for the longer term, in the longer term, we do see um, the actions by central banks and governments influencing the value of gold. If we do go into a period where growth is much slower or indeed in a recession, how are monetary authorities and governments going to react to that? When we think about what we've, what's happened in the past, they've cut interest rates or done more quantitative easing, which meant that they've essentially printed more money and more money and money becomes less valuable. So we are as investors looking for a way to protect the store of value of, of wealth. And how do we do that? One of those areas that we look to is something that does protect the store of wealth, which is gold. So we look at gold from, from that point of view over the long run. So for us, it is about understanding whether the financial system becomes much more unstable because we don't have as much tools from a system point of view to manage that recessionary environment which may come in the next few years
0: okay, so when did you, um, when did you kind of build up start building up your your gold position then
2: so we started building up the gold position a lot mostly at the beginning of last year we 've had gold in, in various. In various sizes in the portfolio over uh, the last ten years, it's been as high as ten percent at some periods of time, especially during those really stressful periods in markets ten years ago through the great financial crisis. But it's also been zero in the portfolio when we found other competing assets that will give us a much better way of gaining wealth in, in, in or growing our clients' wealth in real terms. Last year, we started to get become more interested in using gold as a tool to protect that store of value for clients.
0: Okay. Um, you've also um, got exposure to gold via gold mining shares. So what's the rationale here over getting exposure to physical gold or using gold contracts? then?
2: It's important to think about the different ways of implementing your gold view. And for us, at the beginning of um, any, any um, appreciation of the gold price, especially when the financial system is not yet in, in in disrepair we we look for the most efficient way that we can get a Gold ex- our gold exposure what we saw this year was that the gold mining shares or the gold mining companies were actually holding gold on their balance sheets at much much more depressed prices than the gold price that we saw on on um, on exchanges so indeed buying gold mining shares you were buying gold at a discount, which was very interesting one of the real interesting ways to understand whether gold mining shares are very attractive is watching the gold miners themselves what we've seen recently is that there's a wave of mergers and acquisitions within the gold mining share space and that indicates to us that even the gold miners themselves think the gold in the in the ground is very attractively priced so we've seen recently the the and activity between Rand Gold and Barrick and that is one of the examples of when gold companies consolidate to take advantage of the operational leverage that exists within gold mining companies and we find that attractive.
0: I presume though if you're if you're kind of accessing gold via gold mining shares you're not exactly giving yourself a hedge from equity markets though so how do you manage that risk? So
2: that that is important to know is it, it's a, when you have more confidence about the environment, more confidence about the equity market, should you become a little bit more concerned about equity markets, growth in general, or indeed, a grand liquidation in markets where people need to sell anything, then that's when you really need to go for the bullion itself. That's important. Because when we get to a period of time where people lose faith in the system, which happens through uh, recessionary periods, that's when you want gold bullion instead of gold mining shares. So since we're at the beginning of that, that rise in the gold mining in, in, in the gold price, and we do see the system being relatively stable, this is when we like gold mining shares.
0: Okay, so in terms of your exposure to gold mining shares, um, I think it's fair to say it's definitely more of a short term than a long term play. What's the downside potential here? Because obviously, as Leonora mentioned, you no, know, the gold price is now reaching the, and as, as you've mentioned as well, the gold price is now reaching the upper level in in terms of the five years, it's only about sixty dollars off its uh, its five year high. Still, obviously below its its all time high. Um, so, kind of what short term buy sell signals are you looking for here then?
2: It would be very interesting for us to see some consolidation at this level. So, if the gold price was to uh, fall to around thirteen hundred, I think that would be healthy for the gold market. Anything lower than that would 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 make us um, consider that position more more closely. But around thirteen hundred, we think would be a, a, a more reasonable retracement. We think. When buying gold, mining shares, you have to realize that the m- mining shares move much in a much more volatile fashion than the underlying gold. So that's something to, to keep in mind when you put positions in your portfolio. One of the things we want to understand is how is positioning already in the market? And when we look at positioning, the, the positioning today is about half as much as we've seen at this price previously. So if we look at periods two or three years ago where the gold price was at this level, Long contracts in the gold mining um, in in the gold mining derivatives were about double where they are today. So from that point of view, we're not too concerned about positioning being too stretched. Hence, I say any any pullback will be um, will be healthy, but we won't be um, worried about that. We think there's a, a better chance for advancement. Anything higher than. Th- Thirteen seventy, thirteen seventy five. We think is very constructive for gold.
0: Okay, so not not a crowded trade yet, then. Not yet. Okay, Um, and so what other assets are you including in your portfolio that kind of give you the defensive uh, and safe haven characteristics? Then,
2: over the last six months, we've been uh, quite fan, quite big fans of of government bonds. As you might remember last year, government bonds were an asset that people really didn 't want to own they were worried about rising interest rates but in fact, our view was that growth was slowing and government bonds did give you um, a good uh, a good way to protect through that slowing uh, growth environment and we 've been quite um, heavily invested in government bonds, but at this level they start to become more and more expensive so where have we where have we sought to um, find more defensiveness, we have uh, a portfolio of companies at the moment that um, we would consider quite quality companies. And by quality, we mean companies that don't have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. In a slowing growth environment, in an environment where interest rates are rising at the margin, you want companies that don't rely too much on leverage, on gearing. And these are companies that we want to invest in. So from that point of view, it's not necessarily about countries or sectors. It's about trying to look individually at these companies to understand how leveraged are they? How risky are they in a slowing growth environment? So we we try and be a little bit more selective at this p- part of the cycle.
0: Okay, great. Thank you, uh, thank you, Janelle and Inouye, for that uh, segment on gold. Channil, um, it's been an interesting start of the year compared to how twenty eighteen ended. Uh, definitely been a much calmer and much more uh, bullish. What's changed? This the, the shift in sentiment.
2: Well, firstly, I think um, the markets discounted quite a quite a serious slow growth slowdown at the end of last year. but as you would expect, central banks and monetary authorities were able to come to the market and say that they were willing to have a little bit more accommodation, not raise rates too much, and not stress the market from from really strength or creating much more financial stress. So from that perspective, we think that um, markets were quite relieved by that. Um, However, growth has continued to slow. We've seen growth slow in many countries. We've seen industrial production slow. We've seen manufacturing slow. We've seen job layoffs. Uh, We've seen factories being closed down. So by no means do we think that this is the end of the growth slowdown. What we want to think of, however, as investors is how much is priced in, how much is already discounted. And having discounted a lot at the end of last year, we've, as markets have risen, they are discounting less. So at this point, we're a bit more cautious on on the market after it's risen so strongly. Um, and we want to focus on areas where there's been too much discount um, for growth slowing already. And we still think that is in the emerging markets. So emerging market areas, we find quite attractive, we see the stimulus that the Chinese are putting into the into the financial system as positive, And that will maybe not um, accelerate the globe, but it will at least stabilize it. And I think that's what markets are responding to.
0: Okay, so you so we're trying to find the pockets of value, I'm guessing then.
2: Exactly. So um, I suppose, where are
0: you, where are you taking it away from them? What, what's not showing you the opportunities and what's showing too much risk at the moment?
2: Yeah, so at the moment, we're, we're a little bit concerned about Europe we think the european slowdown is more pronounced uh we do think that uh, issues are, are around the political arena are complicated whether it be brexit whether be whether it be european parliamentary elections so we think that there is um some risk around europe that investors don't necessarily need to take there's enough opportunity elsewhere in the world where where you're able to Find some pockets of value that are going to help you grow your the real value of your wealth.
0: Okay, um, I noticed um, for your fund that you've got quite a high weighting to cash at the moment. It's about sixteen percent. So I suppose uh, my question is: one, is this a kind of defensive player, or, or if it's not, and you're it's kind of dry powder, and you're waiting for for markets to fall to add to? What are you looking to add to when uh, the time is right?
2: Yeah, at the moment that's that's right. It's really dry powder. It's it's looking for. Um, a period of time where markets might correct, and we are able to to increase the, the weight of that uh, of our risky assets, we do think that there are companies in the United States that are quite attractive, some of these companies that are really geared towards secular growth, so whether it is the technology companies, whether it is the companies involved in um, automation and robotics these Could come- you provide some examples well in terms of in terms of the the companies it 's not really the ones that you might see. In in the paper, the fangs. It's it's really the the companies that feed into the ecosystem, that supply um, all the all, all the supply chains to either those robotics um, themes or those or those platform digital themes. So we think it's much broader than a, a, a handful of companies, and I think that's important because for all of this, all, for all of these themes, there's always a price. Although we might believe in the secular the the secular theme. There's always a price that we need to be able to pay, and sometimes it gets too expensive. And last year, clearly, it was too expensive, and thankfully, we weren't, we weren't invested in them at that time. However, we, we are looking at them much more clearly now.
0: Okay, and what about in the fixed income space? Obviously, you mentioned that government bonds um, are getting a bit expensive. What about kind of in corporate bonds, and are there any opportunities there?
2: So, in terms of the fixed income space, we quite uh, like the value in emerging markets. Fixed income, so both in hard currency bonds and local currency bonds. So, by hard currency, you mean uh, bonds that are issued in dollars. Bonds that are issued in dollars, being hard currency, and bonds lo- issued in their local currency are quite attractive. Very, very high yields, and especially if we see some some better growth environment for the emerging market space, this is going to be attractive for 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 investors. We think, in terms of credit, we're quite um, we're quite cautious about credit. As I mentioned earlier, the the leverage that on corporate balance sheets is a problem. It is very high. And we don't think investors are being appropriately compensated for the credit risk or the default risk in most corporate bonds. So for us, we'd rather have government bonds and equities rather than credit. We think credit is probably the mispriced asset too expensive for this time t- time of the cycle.
0: Okay, great. Thank you very much for that, Neil. Diversifying your income sources is always a sensible thing to do. While the UK is a great income market, there are companies all over the world that offer strong, steady and growing dividends that investors can access. Uh, Leonora, you've been looking at a fund that specialises in this area. Uh, which one is it?
1: This fund is Artemis Global Income um, and as its name implies, invests in equity income from across the globe. That said it's more in developed markets um, than emerging markets, but it does have between about thirteen and fourteen percent of its assets in emerging market and a very small allocation to Asia Pacific. Uh, ex-Japan as well. Uh, it's run by a manager called Jakob de Tuchelik. He's run it since launch in 2010 and is a fairly seasoned equity income investor.
0: Oh, okay. Um, how does, uh, so how does Jakob go about picking uh, the stocks he holds in?
1: Right, well, he, um, I think he and his team, what their um, main aim is is a rising income. Um, and I, I really emphasize that because a lot of funds are like, you know, paying income, pay a high income, pay good income – the, their emphasis is on a rising income, sustainable and rising. So you can hopefully expect your income with this fund to rise. Um, so how do they do this? Well, they obviously invest in equities. But unlike a lot of funds they don't just go for the, the mega cap, big dividend payers, they've got quite a bit in medium-sized companies. When I last looked, that was about a third of its assets. So that's, oh, that's like quite, quite a lot, lot yeah. for, um, you know, maybe um, relative to some traditional uh, equity, um, income funds. Um, the reason they do this is for um, to get potential for for both yield, aka dividend growth, but also capital growth, because it does do that. Um, they hold around 90 shares. That maybe sounds a lot, but their universe is 5,000 stocks. So it's really quite a select basket of companies that they, they think are going to, you know, I suppose, are going to do what they need them to do. Um, they change this Reasonably regularly, really to fit in with economic conditions. So basically, they, they, there's three kind of general areas of stocks to so invest in: um, high-yielding quality, cyclical, and value stocks. And they kind of have an emphasis in each of these areas depending on economic circumstances. The other thing they do is have an eye to valuations, which is actually quite important because equity income shares have been popular and can be very expensive. But they look for income in underpriceded and undervalued areas. So hopefully, uh, what they're buying. Um, what you're putting money into isn't overpriced.
0: Okay, and so how's that, how's that worked out for then the the past couple of years?
1: <laughs> right, well, if you look at the cumulative numbers, they don't look good. The fund's underperformed MSCI AC World Index over one, three and five years, and it's underperformed the IA, or Investment Association, Global Equity Income Sector Average over one and three years. Uh, there's a but. Um, this underperformance um, is largely due to um, some... Recent um, issues, um, I'd say up until last year, the fund did well, but in the fourth quarter of last year, the um, the fund underperformed because it wasn't invested in defensive parts of the market. And I suppose, um, you know, it goes back to what I was talking about before. It doesn't just go for, you know, big, boring, stable companies that bang out dividends. It goes, for example, for medium-sized companies can grow over dividends. Um, and there was market volatility in the fourth quarter of last year. And, you know, just having a quarter like that can have a knock-on effect on on cumulative numbers. So in calendar year 2018, the fund fell 12.5% and it had a knock-on on on the three- and five-year figures. You go go back to before 2018 and the fund often outperforms MECI AC World Index. Now, that's a growth index. This is an income fund. So that's actually quite an achievement. You know, it's an income fund. Most of the time, it's beating this growth index. Um, And um, most of the time, it's actually beating the... IA Global Equity Income Sector Average. So basically what this stacks up to is strong returns over the long term, even though it had a blip in the fourth quarter last year. So for example, between its launch in July 2010 and 31st of January this year, the fund returned 167%. MSCI AC World Index returned one hundred and forty two percent and the IA Global Equity Income Sector Average was one hundred and fourteen percent. So clear outperformance there. And the good news is for investors in this fund, performance has bounced back this year so far. I mean it's only February, but the fund rose five point seven percent in January and was ahead of the benchmark.
0: Okay, great. I suppose this value kind of strategy is always going to keep it away from those defensive income stocks anyway. I
1: mean Well it has be you know it, it doesn't exclude them. But, you know, it doesn't purely focus on them, let's say, like maybe a more traditional equity income fund might.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for that, Leonora. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. But for more on gold, asset allocation, and global income funds, please go to this week's magazine or the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do,